Welcome to the Tasteful History Podcast. I'm your host, Sasha, and today we'll be talking about the Grand Duchess who ran away from Russia. To be honest with you, I hadn't heard of Princess Julianne of Saxe-Coburg Solfeld until I decided to do this episode. I first heard of her when I asked the Alexa in my room to read me the Wikipedia page on Elizabeth Fyodorovna. You might have heard of her, she's the sister of Alexandra Fyodorovna, who was the last Tsarina of Russia. I know that Wikipedia isn't inaccurate, but it's very nice to listen to when you need something to hear before you go to bed. But instead, Alexa heard Anna Fyodorovna and read me Anna's Wikipedia page instead. So she seemed quite fascinating, and I promised myself that I'd research her more in the morning. And I didn't get any sleep that night because I really just wanted to learn more about Anna Fyodorovna slash Julianne of Saxe-Coburg-Solfeldt. So I barely slept, and immediately after waking up, I went online to research her, and I found out how Julianne was related to Elizabeth Fyodorovna, the woman who I wanted to hear the Wikipedia page on. Julianne was Elizabeth's grandmother's maternal aunt, as well as Elizabeth's grandfather's paternal aunt, among many other relations because inbreeding. So. My weird story about how I discovered Julianne is over, so here's the story of the Grand Duchess who ran away from Russia on multiple occasions. Julianne Henriette Ulrich of Saxe-Coburg-Solfeld was born on July 23rd, 1781, which is only a few days before my birthday, and I love that about Julianne. Julianne is a German princess. She's the third daughter of Francis, the Duke of Saxe-Coburg-Solfeld, and his second wife, Augusta Rus of Ebersdorf. Francis had been in love with Augusta for quite some time, but he was told to marry a princess named Sophie, who died only about seven months after they got married. So, very, very quickly after Sophie's death, Francis just went ahead and married Augusta. They had a very happy marriage, and their happiness led to ten children, but only seven, including our heroine Julianne, survived to adulthood. And among them was Ernst, who later became the father of Prince Albert, and thus the father-in-law of Queen Victoria. But Julianne's sister, Victoria, married Edward, the Duke of Kent, and gave birth to Queen Victoria, so Queen Victoria ended up marrying her maternal first cousin. But get over it, because that's very normal and totally won't produce any unhealthy offspring. It also definitely won't mean that Queen Victoria's youngest son, Leopold, will be born with hemophilia and die after a fall he could have survived. Imagine what Julianne and her siblings might have thought at Albert and Victoria's wedding. They were the aunts and the uncles of both halves of the happy couple. And one of Julianne's brothers, Leopold, became King Leopold I, the king of the Belgians. So Julianne and her siblings and this whole generation of the Saxe-Coburg-Solfeld family were very important to their time. 
So Julianne isn't unusually well-educated or anything, but she's not educated badly either. She's educated in the standard way that a daughter of a duke would be. But that doesn't become a problem later on in our story like it does for many other royals. Julianne's education is fine, just know that. Julianne is very, very close to all of her siblings, and I said that her parents were very much in love, so Julianne, I guess you could say she had a very happy childhood. But Julianne's very happy childhood is about to get cut short because the Tsarina of Russia, Catherine the Great, is searching for a bride for one of her younger grandsons, Grand Duke Konstantin Pavlovich. And Konstantin is spelled with a K and no E at the end. I just thought I should point that out. Constantine's older brother, Grand Duke Alexander, the future Tsar Alexander I, married Louise of Baden. Their wedding only happened a few months before Tsarina Catherine began searching for a bride for Constantine. So Catherine the Great sent one of her counts to visit many courts of Europe and report back to Catherine on how the daughters and sisters of the rulers were, and he had a very, very long list of courts to visit, but he fell ill and he had to make a stop in Coburg. And while there, he stayed with, wait for it, Julianne's family. And their doctor, when he found out that the Count was searching for a bride for Constantine, he recommended Julianne and her two older sisters. So the Count met Julianne and her two older sisters, Sophie and Antoinette, and he talked with them and he wrote back to Catherine saying that Julianne and her older sisters were the best princesses for Constantine. Even though we just talked about the copious amounts of inbreeding in European royal families at this point, Julianne and Constantine weren't even that closely related. It's because Julianne is the daughter of a minor German noble, and even though he's a duke, there were a ton of dukes in Germany. Constantine is the son of the heir to the Russian throne. He's the second son of Catherine the Great's son, Grand Duke Paul. So he is third in line to the throne at this point. With his important family and Julianne's unimportant family, there probably wasn't much marrying going on between the Saxe-Coburg Saalfelds and the Russian imperial family. And there's no reason that Constantine shouldn't want to marry Julianne or her sisters because they are all very beautiful, they're all very intelligent, they can make very good conversation, but as we'll see, Constantine wasn't that eager. So Catherine the Great considers this, and in the end she decides why not, and she invites Julianne, her older sister Sophie and Antoinette, and her mother, Augusta, to the Russian court. They arrive in Russia. Catherine the Great is very, very pleased with the four women. She likes Augusta. She thinks she's the right sort of woman. And she likes Augusta's daughters as well, especially Julianne. So now that Catherine was very, very happy with this, Constantine was told to make a choice. So would he marry Sophie, Antoinette, or Julianne? According to many contemporary sources, he did not want to get married. Three weeks went by, the Saxe-Coburg Saalfelds, they just sat there waiting. Which one would Constantine marry? Would Constantine marry any of them at all? But Constantine finally ended up making his decision. He just chose his grandmother's favorite, Julianne. 
I think that Constantine chose Julianne just because he wanted to make his grandmother happy. But either way, Julianne, the 14-year-old Julianne, by the way, she converted to Russian Orthodoxy and took the Russian name Anna. But she also needed a patronymic, which is a woman's father's name with Ovna or Evna after it. Some examples are Fyodorovna, Alexievna, or Petrovna. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing any of them wrong. But Julianne's father's name is Francis, so she can't have a patronymic like Francis Evna. So she took Fyodorovna instead, which means gift of God. So most foreign royal brides take that name when they marry into the Russian royal family because their fathers won't have names that can be made into patronymics. So for just for the sake of simplicity, I'll be calling Julianne Anna from now on. So, on February 26, 1796, 14-year-old Anna married the 16-year-old Constantine. There was really no reason for Anna and Constantine to not get along. They were close in age, Anna is very, very beautiful, and she is intelligent, she can make good conversation, I just said that about her and her sisters. But the problem is with Constantine. He's the worst husband, he's worse than Anna could have ever imagined. He is super invested in his military career, he doesn't care for his new wife, and he's a very, very violent man. The marriage was very beneficial for Anna's family because it made them much more powerful. Their daughter is married to a Russian Grand Duke, which is a pretty big thing for a minor German royal family. And the marriage was made even better for Anna's family when Catherine the Great died that November. So Anna is now the daughter-in-law of the new Tsar, Paul I. So Anna is very, very well-liked at the Russian court. They call her the rising star, they love her for all the reasons Constantine should love her. But the thing is, that makes Constantine hate her even more. He's not happy that Anna is fitting in, that she is making friends with everybody he's been surrounded by for his whole life. He was actually very, very jealous of her. And I find him worthy of the title, the worst husband of the 18th century. Because the court loved her, they called her the rising star, as I mentioned, Constantine didn't allow Anna to leave her rooms. When she was allowed to leave, Constantine didn't let her go near that many people, so he's not really letting his wife talk to anybody. So Anna is very, very miserable. She's lonely, she's homesick. I don't believe Anna's situation was a lot of fun for her. So her sister-in-law, Louise of Baden, was allowed to see her more than most other people, and of course Louise of Baden did convert to Russian Orthodoxy. She's the one who married Constantine's older brother, Alexander. She took the name Elizabeth Alexievna, but I'm just going to call her Louise of Baden because I like simplicity. And Anna and Louise become very, very good friends. But then Anna falls ill, and you'll see that Anna is very, very good at interpreting her situation and, you know, trying to get what she wants out of it. So immediately after learning she's ill, she basically tells everybody, I'm leaving because I need treatment, Russia is way too cold, it's just gonna make me sicker. It's not like I hate my husband, no, I love him. She returns to Coburg, and then she tells them all, I'm never coming back. 
But as mostly happens with royal women in history who want to leave their husbands and make their own choices, Anna wasn't able to stay with her family. Most of their prestige, I guess you could say, came from Julianne's marriage to Constantine because her sister Victoria is not yet married to the Duke of Kent, her brother Leopold is not yet King of the Belgians, so yeah, they need that little connection. So they tell her, you have to go back, and the Russian imperial family is also obviously pretty pissed, so they make her come back by saying that she has to attend the weddings of her two sisters-in-law that October. And now Anna is back where she started, she's back near her terrible husband, who still hates her by the way. Nothing changed. So again she begins looking for a way to leave Russia. And the moment comes in March of 1801 when her father-in-law, Tsar Paul I, is assassinated. So Anna was now the new Tsar's sister-in-law. Alexander and Louise of Baden became Tsar and Tsarina. But focus on the assassination part. Have you ever faked sick? Well, you're about to find that Anna is the master of faking sick, and you are pretty bad at it. So what Anna does is that she says, Oh, my father-in-law just died. I am so ill with grief. And she fakes it so well that her mother is called to her side. And her mother decides, Oh my god, my daughter is so sick and brings her back to Coburg. And when she was in Coburg, this time she says, This time I'm really not going back. And it turns out that she meant it now. She began attempting to divorce her husband, but every attempt was refused, and it's not because they didn't want Anna to be divorced. It's because they thought that being separated from Anna might mean that Constantine would make a morganatic marriage. Most of the royals were actually sympathetic to Anna. So just remember that they're not giving Anna a divorce because they think Constantine is going to marry below his rank, not because they don't want Anna to be happy. And Anna, she's still married, but she decides she's young, her life is not over yet, and even if she can't get rid of Constantine, she's going to live her life. So she begins having affairs and gave birth to a son named Edward in 1808. We don't know exactly who Edward's father was, but he might have been a minor French aristocrat and Prussian army officer. Her son later got ennobled and took a different, more noble surname. Anna always liked kids and she was very happy with her son. She had been lonely this whole time and now she has a son and she's probably very, very happy about this. And in 1812, Anna moved to Switzerland, and she had another child there, and this time it was a daughter named Louise. The girl's father was most probably Anna's chamberlain named Rodolphe, and they remained friends for life, but Anna had to give up the baby for the sake of her reputation, and the baby was adopted. In 1814, once the headache of the Napoleonic Wars was over, Tsar Alexander, who was still Anna's brother-in-law, tried to bring Anna back to Russia. Anna's younger brother Leopold also made efforts. Anna probably scoffed at her little brother giving her commands. 
going to Russia basically meant going back to Constantine, and that was the objective of Tsar Alexander in the first place, but Anna obviously refused. She would never leave her Riverside estate in Switzerland. It was a very nice estate, and it was definitely fit for a princess. Her little sister, Victoria of Saxe-Coburg Solfeld, married Edward, the Duke of Kent, and had a daughter, Victoria, whom we talked about in the beginning. Little Princess Victoria would later become Queen Victoria, and it's actually through her that Anna is related to the woman who I originally wanted to research, Elizabeth Friedorovna. But let's get back to Anna. She's still very young, she's still in her 30s, but her marriage is still not annulled, much to her annoyance. But just before her 40th birthday, it's almost like a 40th birthday present, honestly, in 1820, Anna was finally granted an annulment. Her husband remarried to his mistress, but Anna never married anyone else. Constantine's new marriage was morganatic, exactly why Anna wasn't allowed to be divorced. So Constantine had to renounce his claim to the Russian throne, but he did this in secret. So in 1825, after Tsar Alexander's death, Constantine was also proclaimed Tsar, but it did not last. Anna's son soon got married to his first cousin, Bertha, in 1835. Bertha was an illegitimate child of Anna's younger brother Ernst, who was now the Duke of Saxe-Coburg-Solfeld. Inbreeding actually kind of sounds like a hobby of royals at this point. Through her son, Anna still has living descendants today. And now, everybody in our story starts dropping dead one by one. First was Louise of Baden, Anna's very good friend and former sister-in-law in 1826, followed by Anna's mother Augusta in 1831. Constantine died that same year, but I don't really think Anna was that affected by it. But at least her brother, Leopold, became king of the Belgians that year after Belgium got its independence from the Netherlands. Anna's older sister, Sophie and Antoinette, died soon after. She was still very, very close to them despite the fact that Constantine chose her instead of them. And then Anna's 25-year-old daughter, Louise, died in 1837. Louise's father died only a few months after Louise, and Anna was still very, very good friends with him, even though their affair was over. And Anna, once again, was miserable. She was constantly in mourning, which can't be that fun, and everybody close to her is dead, so it's not a very good time for Anna right now, either. She ended up dying herself on August 12th, 1860, near the Riverside Estate in Sweden that she bought many, many years ago. She was 79, she had outlived Constantine by 29 years. Her grave only says Julianne Anna. There's no indication of title, rank, or anything. Just Julianne Anna. And that's where I'm going to end today's episode. The woman who wanted a happy ending but never got it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you loved meeting Julianne as much as I did. I'm so glad I stumbled upon her because her story is just a roller coaster. I have a few more episodes planned for the next few weeks, and there are so many royal women whom I can't wait to introduce you to. The next woman I'll be covering also had quite an interesting life. She 
was one of the first female billionaires. Churchill even called her the only man among the governments in exile in Britain. This podcast does not go in chronological order, so you can expect a lot of random episodes. And I guess that's it. That was Julianne's amazing story from a very happy princess in Saxe-Coburg-Saalfeld to a very unhappy grand duchess in Russia to a woman struggling to be happy in Switzerland. She's one of the few royal women I've researched that was better off before marriage. 